let's say there's, there's that saying, practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. I completely disagree. <laughs> practice makes permanent. What you practice yeah, totally. is what you do. Yeah, it reinforces the pattern. If the form is not perfect, you have reinforced something imperfect. So part of the pursuit of any kind of practice, I'm actually going to come at this from a, a music standpoint. Uh, so I didn't say this earlier because for the sake of the podcast, you know, we're talking about martial arts. But in addition to my experience with National Academy of Sports Medicine, I actually studied music originally. I studied at the Berkeley College of Music. So part of your intention setting has to be to make it more perfect each time. Yes. Because you're not just trying to reinforce a pattern. You have to understand that there is no perfect pattern. There's only a better pattern and you need to make it better each time. Every time you punch, you should try to make it better than the last one. Every time you kick, it should try to be a little better than the last one. If you don't, rather than going up, you won't even plateau, you'll start going down. Yeah, totally. Yeah. If, it, if it's a bad pattern, mm -hmm. and let me tell you, like one of the hardest things to possibly do is to unlearn something. It's actually much harder than learning something new. You have to like uproot. So yeah. back to like the music example, let's say you're practicing a song, one of the notes is wrong. You didn't realize that. Now, how many times you practice it that way? Maybe you've played that song a thousand times like that now. That's a good point. You try to unlearn that. Yeah. Really hard. Welcome to the Unlimited You podcast. Believing firmly in the limitless potential that resides within each individual. Your hosts, Master Victor Almeida, a distinguished martial arts expert, and Andy Freebird, a holistic health coach specializing in calisthenics, nutrition, and strength training are here to guide you in unlocking your inner power. Each episode offers practical knowledge from strength training techniques to the calming practices of meditation, tailored to enhance your physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. Join us on this empowering journey and embrace the warrior that lies within you. What's up, everybody? We are back for our second episode of The Ultimate You with myself, Master Victor, and... How's it going, Andy Freebird? The Freebird. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I guess we didn't talk uh, about this last time, so I'll just briefly uh, kind of mention my own credentials here. Yes, please. Which is that I have eight certifications through the National Academy of Sports Medicine, kind of covers the full breadth of what entails being healthy. So diet coaching, personal training, weight loss specialization, as well as corrective exercise, um, athlete optimization, et cetera. Awesome. And uh, he's, he knows his stuff. <laughs> I like to think so. Today, we're going to be talking about the performance benefits of martial arts. So everything that increases your performance from physical to mental to every aspect of it. I guess we can get started on talking about hand-eye coordination. That's pretty much, I guess, what a lot of people think about when they talk about martial arts, you know, mm -hmm. accuracy, being able to strike with your foot and your hands on the right area and also reflexes. You know, when we have a lot of students first come in, they're very awkward. They don't know how to move their body. The right. major motor skills are not as refined. And it takes a very long time for them to see that kind of transition to being able to feel comfortable in their body. And I remember when I first started training, like doing our front kicks, you bring your knee up, snap, and everything feels awkward until you start becoming more comfortable in these movements because you don't normally do these movements as you go throughout your life, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Would you say that sort of total body awareness, total body control 
is one of the primary aspects of kind of getting hand-eye coordination. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I guess that ties into the awareness of the body too, being aware of what part of your body you're using to be able to control it. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, you don't realize how your foot connects into your upper leg all the way up and affects your punch as you deliver a punch. Yeah, it's really like what do you ideally need to be focusing on at a given time, right? Because there's going to be, let's say, in a portion of the punch, you're going to be focusing more on the mechanics of the hip, right? Right before the punch collides, you're going to be focusing on solidifying the fist and you know, turning the foot more, that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, one of the big kind of hurdles, I would say, for a lot of students is the roundhouse kick and pivoting and opening up the hips. You have... And this ties into a lot of flexibility where you can't necessarily attain a certain level of accuracy with your kicks if you don't have that flexibility. If you can't right. raise your leg over a certain degree, you're not going to be able to reach. And There's a range of motions just not accessible to you exactly. without having the flexibility. Yeah, you'll compromise your stance, your balance in, in order to try to reach it. That's so interesting how that works. That basically, so... If you're trying to move through space, right, let's say in Victor's example, you're trying to kick a target that's in a particular spot, right? The body just wants to move from point A to point B, and it's going to do that in whatever way it can. So it, it may cause you to overbend in one way because you're not flexible in another way, and that's not going to be as ideal. It could be less stability. It could be less power transference. So you can get your foot over here if that's the goal, but... The goal would be to have enough like hip groin flexibility to move it into that location rather than your whole body having to sort of compromise and bend in a different way to get there. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, that turns into like, like I, I've seen some people with really tight hamstrings, they'll try to throw a front kick or an axe kick and they can't straighten that leg. And that, that exactly happens. And how we train that accuracy, right, the, the control is after you've established a, a certain foundation of the technique, you learn how to bring the knee up, snap, and put it down. Mm -hmm. We then start adding different targets. So can you kick here and hit this spot? And you have to do that hundreds and hundreds of times to the point where you don't have to think about it and be able to hit that. Right, as you were saying. Yeah. Because ideally, like, you want to have more of your awareness available mm. for other aspects of the fight. Exactly. And not have to be thinking about every tiny little detail exactly. of something you could have just practiced. Yeah. yeah. The accuracy, it comes from doing it repeatedly, where the technique transcends thought. And you are then solely focused on where you're going to hit, and your foot goes straight there, or your mm -hmm. hand, or whatever part, body part you Because you know in proximity to your own body through practice where your hand or your foot, whatever you're striking with, needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, once you do it enough, it becomes second nature. Gotcha. And that, that's where the expression comes in. But that, that's where the hand-eye coordination comes in. You, you've practiced enough to know that I need to move this specific way to reach this exact area. Right. So it's based on distances, like proximity from wherever you are. That's a big one. Yeah. Proximity. So, you know, if you're too close to somebody and you go to punch and your arm is still all locked up. You can't really extend. You can't really transform, yeah. uh, transform the force. That power delivery is also affected. 
yeah. where I cannot exert my full power. And if somebody's really strong, that power is going to get recoiled back into yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Or if you're too far away from somebody, you can't actually even connect. Yeah, you might end up overexerting yourself and then they can pull you or strike you. Mm. You end up compromising your self-defense position. Yeah, like if you stance. overextended and your center of gravity is kind of thrown. Yeah, if, they, if you have a handout and I'm like this, yep. you're going to be able to pull me pull you over. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that just comes from repeated training and knowing how long your your limbs can reach and in knowing how not to change your hips and your shoulders to not over yeah yourself. so that's something that i remember i struggled with when i was learning how to punch it was sort of overextending from the torso from the shoulder kind of rolling my shoulder too far forward and not really like actually solidifying it with my upper back more or less kind of in a locked, integrated position. Exactly, and you can probably really well relate to this, you know, like when you're bench pressing, you want to lock your back to push. Yeah, yeah you kind of get your shoulder blades down and back using the latissimus muscles of the back, kind of keep those activated through it. And that keeps more stability up here. Yeah, because exactly. you don't want anything to move. Mm-hmm. Like on a bench press, ideally, the, the only thing that's moving is just the elbow joint. You kind of keep the spine from moving completely as well as the shoulder blades. Yeah, and that's the exact same thing we want to do in a punch. Yeah. When that full extension happens, all of this is tight and locked. Yeah. And that delivery of power goes straight into your knuckles. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And one of the other hand-eye coordination things that we we work on is punching different heights, punching different speeds. So working on, on speed to be able to deliver it at the right place. Because if you only train slow speed, half speed, and you, then you go to throw a full speed right. punch, it's gonna compromise your technique. I see, I see. Because it has to move to get there. Yeah. And it's gotta move fast so the person can't react enough to get away. Okay. And that's where the, the reflexes come in. Right, because if they see what you're doing, then they're going to respond accordingly mm-hmm. and try to not get hit, yeah. block it, counter it, just not get hit. Exactly. One of the really interesting things about that is the reflexes, right? We, we're training these moves to be a reflex. Yeah. Where More you instinctual. don't have to think. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because when, if you have to think about it, that takes time. And you have to absorb the input through your eyes or ears usually you know maybe nose or other senses you're picking it up somehow yeah any way you can then it goes to the brain you process it and then it's got to send all that information back into your muscles right which is not automatic Mm -hmm. if you're having to actually think about discern what's happening it's not going to be this like instantaneous reactive response exactly and the more you train it the faster that reflex gets the faster that instinct becomes more accurate as well because your instincts are not always going to be perfectly precise yeah like with experience you understand what more what works and what doesn't how to ideally respond to a situation exactly and you know the more you train it the faster you'll get like race car drivers they have really good reflexes they watch that light turn and they can instantly react it's It's the exact same concept in martial arts where you see somebody start to throw a punch, and you move away. You know, they're just reacting to a different thing than a race car driver is picking up on. But at a certain point, 
they're not consciously, you're not consciously thinking, oh, they're doing this, I need to do that. It's just been done so many times, just immediate response. Exactly. And th those two really come in, in handy. They, they really play a part together where let's say someone throws a strike at you. You need to have not only the reflex to react fast, but the hand-eye coordination to be able to block that strike at the right point at the right time. So if somebody throws a punch and I block over here and their punch is coming over here, I'm gonna get hit. So you need to have not only the hand-eye coordination, but the reflexes in order to protect yourself. Right, yeah. because simply reacting isn't enough. You no. have to react in a way that's effective. Exactly. And that comes to conservation of energy, where you're trying to use and maximize your output of energy because you're trying to survive. And if you're you know, throwing wasteless moves out there, you're going to be getting tired. And I guess that goes into our next point is improved endurance and stamina, where you know, training martial arts, we really practice being able to last a, a very long time at a high output of energy. Because when you have to defend yourself, you're gonna be in the situation that your body naturally reacts to the situation in a fight or flight reflex. You get right. this rush of adrenaline. Heart rate goes up, yep. oxygen conservation goes out the door. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know how to control that, if you have never been in that situation, you're gonna go through all of your energy in like 30 seconds and you're gonna be huffing and puffing. Yeah, just kind of frantic panic yep. state. And I think in grappling especially, if you don't have a lot of experience, as soon as somebody grabs you, you, you start flailing around. And nothing that I've personally experienced drains your energy faster than trying to flail your way free from somebody that has a, a good hold on you. I would say this is comparable to my, one of my first experience in a, a sparring competition where they traditionally, when if you go to any Taekwondo school and you go out to a tournament, they do two one minute rounds. And that one minute feels like it's three to four minutes. Yeah, because the intensity oh. level is just so high. And you, like, halfway through that first minute, you realize, oh, my legs are dead. They feel like they weigh a thousand pounds. <laughs> right. And, like, I can't move as fast. And I've been training for this. And, where, where's all, where all, all our strength Yeah, go, you know? so there's a, an interesting thing that you pointed out there, if I mm -hmm. go into just uh, briefly for a moment. So, you know, we're talking about endurance, we're talking about stamina. The main element there is gonna be cardiorespiratory fitness level. Like, mm -hmm. you know, how efficiently can your lungs and heart work together, get oxygen to where it needs to get in every muscle in your body that you're using mm -hmm. when, you know, say you're sparring or you're training, whatever it is that you're doing, right? But there's another element to that, which is that tissue adapts on a local level. So let's say that, you know, if you're not used to punching a certain number of times, kicking a certain number of times, you could have really, really healthy lungs. You could have a really healthy heart, but you don't have a localized tissue adaptation. So as a martial mm -hmm. artist, you need to be training every muscle mm -hmm. for a high endurance capacity. In addition to doing dedicated cardio training where you're just trying to get the lungs, the heart as strong as possible. Yeah, and I, I would say there's even a third element to it, which is a situational element where you, know, you, you have to be thrown in that chaotic element of self-defense. Mm -hmm. Because 
even if you just trained those elements, when you receive that fight or flight reflex of that punch and adrenaline in, in you, you want to exert so much more strength and you're gonna end up overexerting speed, power, mm. and that compromises again your foundational stance, the mm. movements, and that's where somebody maybe does a handmaker and then they leave themselves wide open and they get knocked out. Right, it just takes one mistake. Mm -hmm. And I think something worth pointing out is anybody can go down. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know, you could be the most decorated martial artist in the world with, you know, a ton of KOs and zero uh, knockouts of your own. But you, if you take one bad hit, like, that's it. So you make one mistake. Yep. And that's it. Even a rookie could take you down. Exactly. That was likely to happen. So would you say that sort of simulating that chaos environment where you have your heart rate up, you have this adrenaline going, is, is sort of essential because you're practicing kind of coming to an awareness that that urgency level is working against you. Like it's, would you say that maintaining sort of a calm in that chaos? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Which you, I guess you can't really simulate that without an actual human being yeah. that you're training with. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's why sparring is my favorite. I love sparring because of that reason. It, hmm. it throws you into the face of combat. You get used to people punching you, people throwing kicks at you. And you're forced to react appropriately. Right. And if you don't, you're going to get hit. So uh, that always made a lot of sense to me because you're dealing with a living, thinking being when you're sparring, right? So you, you can't anticipate their movements as easily as a punching bag, yeah. for example. Yeah. I hadn't thought a lot about, it's an interesting point, I hadn't thought a lot about using it as an opportunity to just sort of maintain a calmer baseline. Exactly. Despite the fact that your adrenaline's going and your heart rate is going, it's like, okay, you don't actually want to fire on cylinders or you're just going to burn through all your energy. You want to be able to maintain that calmness so that when the strike does come, you can exert that 100%. You have, yeah, your tank yeah. is full and ready to go. Exactly. In that moment, uh, like an example you gave, somebody kind of throws a punch just a little bit off mm -hmm. and presents that opening. Mm -hmm. If you're gassed, that opening isn't an opening. You're exactly. You don't have the energy to take it. So. And the, the endurance and the stamina come into a different play in the mindset as well. So when you get tired, you're not going to be thinking the same as when you're, you know, you're oh, fresh. Oh, totally. You're going to be exhausted. It's weird. It's weird how that goes, and it happens with every athletic endeavor. Hmm. That your entire capacity to like read all of the factors and even just move your body with like ideal form, mm -hmm. it starts to just go out the window. Yeah, yeah. You become lazy. It becomes the the effort it takes to throw a strike. It doubles, triples, quadruples. Yeah, you become more disoriented, yeah. less coordinated. Yeah. And you'll start having different reactions. You, your body can overheat. You can start getting lightheaded. <clears throat> That's all going to affect how you're perceiving the situation. Mm -hmm. And that could affect how you're dealing with things, your ability to protect yourself. And I think most importantly is, you know, once you're that compromised, you may not make very good decisions and you know you could end up putting yourself in a much dangerous position oh yeah definitely yeah because your mind needs all the things that your muscles need to keep working it needs oxygen and needs glycogen for energy so more tired you get overall yeah your ability to think clearly 
make good decisions and even just pick up on the things that you need to observe in order to make good decisions is proportionally just going to go down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the, the more you do it, the more you realize once you get into those states, you can calm down. You can be in a much more internal calm state mm-hmm. that allows you to perceive things better, even if you are completely exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've, in our training, you know, I've gotten to the point where I've pushed my cardiovascular system so hard that I have to go out and puke. That has yeah. thankfully only happened to me once in my life. It has, I have to admit, it has happened to me one time. And if, you, if I could I'll speak a Please, little bit yeah. <laughs> on that, because it's a weird thing that happens to people. So some of you out here that are watching or listening, maybe this happened to you. You train so hard. It could be anything. You could be biking for all that matters. And you, you hit this wall where it, it almost kind of sneaks up on you. Yeah. Like you don't really know it's coming. You get really nauseous rapidly and then you know a, a few moments or minutes later you're actually throwing up so we don't actually know why people do this this is really weird the, the theory is that way way in the, in the distance past i'm talking like hundred could have been hundreds of millions of years ago some organisms would throw up if their blood oxygen level got too low because they had ingested something that was poisonous. So that is one of the, one of the things that would reduce your blood oxygen level would be to get eat something. Yeah, so you get it out, it would spare your life. Mm. So the animals that had like this adaptation, they survived, They survived. the other ones didn't. Mm. And so now the, the majority of animal life, if it blood oxygen level gets low enough, mm-hmm. it actually throws up. Even though in this case, it's like self-induced and we didn't eat anything poisonous. Yeah. It doesn't understand exactly what's going on. So. Yeah, like to me, it's, a, it's actually a very familiar feeling. Um, like just in the last three months, I've probably reached that point. Yeah, so you, you start to know like when it's coming. Yeah, and, and then you feel lightheaded. Yeah. You start to feel more blood in your head and you'll feel a sharpness inside of your airway here. I feel a little bit dizzy mm-hmm. when it's coming on too, and I have a desire to like sit down or lay completely down yeah. on the ground, which probably so that blood can circulate more easily. Like the, essentially a flatter that you were, this is like fluid dynamics, the, the blood can spread out yeah. more easily. And what's going on is you're trying to get that oxygen, you know, everywhere. everywhere yeah. yeah. What, what I found out is, you know, after you do puke, you're gonna actually keep going. Oh, yeah, no, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I don't recommend it for you all unless you have, unless you know yourself very well. Like, um, so, <laughs> so throwing up, so throwing up's not ideal. Don't do that. Right? But the good news is you don't, you don't actually have to throw up. So, so what yes. we're talking about, it's called VO2 max. Yes. And that's just the maximal rate that your blood can supply oxygen to the tissues that need that oxygen, right? So let's say if you're running, then it's going to be your leg muscles, right? When you exceed that VO2 max and the demand for oxygen is higher than the speed at which you can get it there, that's when you start getting dizzy and stuff like that. So the good news is you can expand, you can increase your VO2 max without crossing that line. But what you would want to do is you'd want to get as close to that line as possible. So if you pay attention to those feelings that Victor's talking about, kind of feeling this sensation in your chest, feeling dizzy, lightheaded, that kind of thing, you want to stop training when you start getting to that point. Basically, train as hard as you can. Take a break. Yeah, take a break. So like you said, when you throw up, you can go again. But don't, you, don't, don't. you don't need to. Like, yeah, just rest long enough. Be realistic with yourself. 
that you can yeah like yeah. repeat that intensity exactly and you know when you get to the point where you're feeling those things you're you're pushing your body's limits and it's good to know where they, those are for your survival instincts for your own personal limits yeah but and it's a moving target because it keeps changing as you adapt mm -hmm. become more skilled in any aspect of martial arts where your limit is it's not where it was you'll have to keep reestablishing where your limits are but if you do reach that limit it's not necessarily a good reaction you don't it's not pretty it doesn't feel good when yeah. you do pukes you're you're dinner comes up why do you want that you know it'd be really embarrassing too at least like in the time that it happened to me no one actually knew about it i was very casually like oh i need to use the bathroom real quick <laughs> like yeah came back out kind of like okay i don't think anybody knew yeah the last two times that happened was actually i was just fire spinning at cavern city renaissance festival in carlsbad those were fire spinning yeah this was so for me it was our crossfit class that i was doing I had been blowing glass for eight hours in the hot sun in front of a 2100 degree furnace. Uh, yeah, that'll do it. And then at the end of the day, I, I did a 20 minute fire spinning, very intense with the trident, the sword, and the staff. And yeah. the very last staff movement, I just couldn't hold it. I, I felt it. I was like, I still have fire, the music's still going. And I didn't listen to myself. Listen to yourself because your body is communicating all this to you. And when you don't listen, you have very bad things. Yeah, happen. and it gets a lot worse really quickly, like yeah. we were saying. It sneaks up on you. So as, as soon as you feel, feel it, it's, like, it's, like, a, it's like a 10 second, maybe even shorter, depending on the intensity level before that comes. Well, it kind of seems like there's like a backlash, right? So if you ignore that, you might think, oh, I still feel good. But then really just a little bit later, like you went harder and it, it kind of comes back to smack you. Exactly. And I've been, if you do, you know, take a break, you allow everything to calm down. You allow your breath to, to take control. And this is kind of one of the biggest keys in, in the stamina, in the endurance, is controlling the breath. Because when you do that high exertion exercise, you start to breathe very rapidly and yep. then your heart starts to beat rapidly. But if you can maintain control of your breath, you're not only gonna control your heart, but you're gonna control your brain. Mm -hmm. And that, that is the key, that's the foundation. So if you can yeah. control your breath, you will not get to that point. You also, well, you talked about this situation that you found yourself in where uh, it was super hot out and you're blowing fire and spinning fire and like all this to say that it was really hot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> The hotter you get, the more your heart rate increases as well. Like even yeah. just environmentally, like if you're like, a good example would be like a sauna. There's actually weird experiments on uh, saunas where just being in such extreme heat and the effect it has on your heart rate mm. is, is similar to doing like high heart rate zone training cardio, mm. even though you're just sitting like in one spot. Yeah, when I sit in the like uh, Epsom salt hot bath. You can feel it. Yeah, I, and my, my watch tracks my heart rate. Oh, yeah. I'll see it go 100, 110, 115, yep. and I'm just resting there. They can go even higher. Like some of these studies, uh, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think they were saying heart rate as high as like 140, 150. Just from Just heat. from sitting in a sauna. Wow. Just, just from the heat, not even moving. Wow. Yeah. And the heat also affects the, the way that the oxygen is taken into the blood as well. Yes. If it's too hot or cold you don't have the same efficiency of transferring that oxygen into your blood system. 
Yeah, and if it's too hot, you're a lot of that working overtime is in an effort to actually cool you down. Mm -hmm. If you can expand the veins, get everything to the surface, your body is hoping that all that heat can like evaporate yeah. and, and dissipate and help you uh, reduce your core temperature. And it's interesting you say that when in in those scenarios where I did puke, my whole body was steaming. Steaming. Yeah. 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 That's so weird. I remember seeing uh, my friend Richie. I, I gotta introduce you to this guy. At some he actually yeah. is a glass artist as well. Yeah. Uh, but he, he does um, like marbles mm -hmm. is like his, his specialty, like really, really beautiful. But uh, yeah, I remember I was at a festival with him and he, he danced so hard he, ha he had to take like a cardio break, you know? I was like cold out and I like, I look over and his, his whole body's like steaming. Yep. <laughs> like it yep. looked like he was about to undergo a Super Saiyan transformation <laughs> or something. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's important to, to train that. Because when you get to a self-defense position, it, it, you're always gonna you're always gonna feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime your life is under threat and you have that adrenaline reaction, and you don't know how to react to it, you're gonna end up overexerting yourself. And if you're throwing kicks and you're throwing punches, the first thing to go out is gonna be your your thighs and all the muscles up here because yeah. you're using all of this muscle and then they start to feel heavy and then your heart's working harder and yeah. your breath is working harder just to send the oxygen and the energy to the, your limbs. And you know, if you don't have the stamina or if you're not controlling your breath, that happens. Right, so there's the breath component. Then there's also what you're pointing out is, and we talked about a little earlier, like there's a local adaptation that takes place mm in whatever muscle you're training. Mm -hmm. So you could say like a cyclist, a professional cyclist, they're gonna have incredible endurance abilities like in their quadriceps, for example. Right. So they're just all day long doing that, right? But then if you took that same person and you were like, hey, let's have them throw 100 punches in a row at this punching bag, their shoulders are gonna get really tired. Like just because their heart and lungs are strong, they're not using their shoulders all day yeah. long riding a bicycle. Yeah. So, you know, you're pointing out the importance of the cardiorespiratory system, but also in this, this local aspect, so you can reduce that by not throwing these needless kicks, not throwing these needless punches, reducing these needless movements, mm -hmm. so skeletal muscle activity is limited too. That, that's an interesting uh, example you gave, because, uh, you know, I, I'd been training Taekwondo for such a long time, and then I started training Haidong Kumdo, which is mm. the way of the sword, it's a Korean style of sword martial arts. And, you know, just for practice warm-up, you're, you're doing 100 cuts with the katana. Oh, okay. And after just the warm-up, my arms were dead, and I'm throwing all this power into it, and everyone else in the class is like, they're just going. And they're and my used arms to, they've are, done it. Yeah. Yeah. And it took me a while, and then, you know, 100 cuts eventually became a warm-up. Right. Yeah. And now you're doing, like, how many cuts I, for actual training? Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, five, six hundred or more per, per training, if, you know. Yeah, well, then that's why I gave the example that I did, because, like, if you watch the last episode, you know, explain, Victor has tons of experience in martial arts. I have a little bit of experience in martial arts, and my experience lies more across, like, a wider range of athletic disciplines. But in the martial arts experience that I do have, one of the things I noticed was just the routine of a very like a simplistic movement like a like just one kind of kick or one punch and you're just doing it over and over and over and it, a lot of times it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't realize how tiring it was if 
you just even just did it like 10 times, 20 mm -hmm. times in a row. You're like, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. You're doing this like hundreds of times and you're like, wow, suddenly I'm super tired, super sore from a punch that when I had only done 10 of them, I thought, oh, I can do an infinity of these. Yeah. But no. Yeah. And, and kind of going back to the uh, fight or flight reflex, right? The martial arts also affects your ability for quick decision making and you know applying that to real life situations. Mm -hmm. So you yeah, know, I was thinking about that. Yeah, when when you do encounter those situations, we're training ourselves to be calmer in the face of chaos. Yeah. Right? So under under stress, if you let all of that emotion come out, let all of that adrenaline come out, you're probably not going to be making good decisions. Definitely, and under that stress happens like all day, every yeah. day. And that could be something either you're carrying with you or that just spikes up because of a certain situation. Right. And if we can, through martial arts, I especially like to train people to handle stressful situations. Yeah. Now that doesn't start in the beginning because you're just not ready for it. We usually start that around like blue belt, purple belt, when people start learning techniques that are actually dangerous enough Mm -hmm. Because we don't want people who can go out there and do a back kick or a jump back kick that can break somebody's rib and, you know, go out there hurting people. Yeah. So in these very stressful situations, we're learning how to remain calm. And that, that's so precious because, you know, it, it helps you deal with other people by dealing with yourself first. Yeah, and then a lot of times what you'll find when you're in a state of supreme calm that the necessity to act physically just goes away. Like you realize that there is a completely different way of solving whatever said issue is and you don't actually have to engage physically at all. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, that's a very hard thing to, to learn because you know, we, we live in such a physical world. And yeah, and your body is, is literally telling you, you know, your adrenaline's going through the roof and everything, your body's telling you otherwise. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And especially if somebody's more prone to violence or that kind of reaction. Sure. Instilling that calmness to say, hey, you know, I can say, oh, you called me stupid? Well, yeah, I'm stupid. It's all good, man, you know? And just, <laughs> yeah. like, de-escalate the situation. So, yeah, I mean, nothing is personal unless you make it. Yeah. It really is true. I think... The point at which somebody, you know, gets physical with you is the point at which you may or may not have to physically respond. There, you know, there was, if I could share like a really short yeah. story of one of the, one of the weirdest and scariest things that happened to me was I was running out of gas on the outskirts of DC. This was probably like five or six years ago, something like that. And I was really worried about just completely running out of gas and my car breaking down. So I pull off the highway and I'm in a super, super ghetto area. I don't even know what part of DC this was. I've been all around DC and like, it looked like something out of a movie. Like I took, as soon as I got out of the car, I was like, I need to get out of here as quickly as possible. This is a really dangerous area. I go inside the gas station to pay the attendant for the pump. And as soon as I go inside, you know, it's like this very small corridor shaped room where I'm going to say the distance between you and you and me, I don't know if you guys can see me and Victor, there's maybe about four or five feet between us. That, that might be a little bit more than like how wide this room was. Yeah. But then it was maybe about like 10 feet long or something like that. And these two huge dudes come in 
Uh, you guys can't tell uh, just from looking at me, I'm like a very averagely heighted and weighted human. I'm not a humongous person. And these, these two guys came in that were enormous. Like both of them were easily over 6'2 and easily over 200 pounds each and were screaming at each other mm. like animals. Like I've never seen people this, this angry at each other. Like mm. they were like about to tear each other's throats open. And everything in my body was telling me to flip out. Mm. Like that fight or flight that you're talking about, adrenaline, heart rate, everything through the roof, man. Mm. But I, I had this awareness that was like, if I do anything other than supreme calm, I'm going to get like caught in this mix hmm. where these guys were like shoving each other against oh. the wall, screaming at each other. Like they like, they were about to tear this gas station down hmm. in their effort to solve whatever discrepancy that they were having. Yeah. And somehow I was able to just be so calm that I not only was able to communicate with the state, the gas station attendant who was behind like a, one of those plexiglass things with like a turnstile, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where he told me I had to like move my car to the next pump because he said that pump didn't even work. But I also was able to buy some Pop-Tarts for there was like a homeless guy on the step and he was like pulling my pant leg asking me, he was like, can you get me something? While all this was happening. Oh was, geez, this is chaotic. Yeah, yeah, man. And I was, so I got him the Pop-Tarts, him the Pop-Tarts, moved the car to the gas and I remember going like, whoa, if I had elevated my calm, even like point, like the tiniest bit, mm -hmm. like I would have not been all right. Yeah. You know, you because think about- all that anger would have gotten transferred over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't care how proficient you are at martial arts or mm -hmm. how strong you are. Mm -hmm. If you are in a tiny room with two people way bigger than you and they're fighting each other, like it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's like dangerous. good luck not getting at least. And, and you don't know what kind of weapons. <laughs> they yeah, have. I had no idea. You know, on top of all that. Yeah, but it was the yeah. weirdest situation of like never in my life before since have I been so calm with my body initially like freaking out so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And that that calmness is extremely important, especially when you're dealing with, with everybody, especially people you care about, because like meditation becomes really important in training because it teaches you how to retain that internal calmness in the chaos. And especially since I've started our new meditation course through Ananda, I've felt that calmness being instilled in different aspects of my life where let's say before I would, you know, be compromised in my emotional state because of maybe something somebody said, and I mm -hmm. had an identification with my ego that I did not handle certain situations well. Well, to be honest, that's hard. It is very hard. Because like we can sit here and go like, oh, words. But it's extremely important because yeah. when you get to a certain degree of, when you have a certain ability to, you know, hurt somebody when you learn martial arts, mm -hmm. that requires a certain level of responsibility. Definitely. And yeah. if you don't have that, you're gonna hurt somebody. And it's not even about hurting somebody, it's about like what it does to you. And especially if, if that person you care about, you could really end up hurting somebody you care about. Or you could end up hurting or killing somebody. Yeah. And that, that becomes a really big responsibility that I don't think enough schools cover where, you know, how to really de-escalate yourself.
because yeah. we are often so focused on trying to control others. We don't turn the mirror inside and say, let me stay calm, like in that situation. Yeah. Let me be yeah. responsible for myself so that I don't hurt other people or so that I don't escalate a situation. Yeah. yeah. And that, that escalation, like you pointed out, is actually like a misguided attempt at control. Yes. Like you're like trying to keep things from getting to a point that ultimately you're actually like stoking those flames. Yeah. And that just becomes like, it's the ego, you know? Like somebody says, oh, I'm a better fighter than you. It's like, okay, you're a better fighter than me. You know? All yeah. right. But I didn't want to downplay that that is hard. That is actually really hard to do. It is. Because yeah. we, we is can sit here and hard. like say like, oh, well, your words should just roll off of you. But actually, it, is, it takes a lot of practice to reach a point where you're truly unfazed by something and not just acting like you don't care. Yeah, and, and the, those situations end up pointing you to the areas in your life you need to work on. Because yeah. if something's getting to you, like why? it's going to keep showing up in your life. Yeah, and why do you care so much yeah. versus something else somebody might say to me and like whatever. Exactly. Truly don't care. And if you just don't address it, it's going to keep arising and yeah. then you're going to create more difficult situations. And that's where uh, I think meditation applied with martial arts is very critical. Yeah. Yeah. It, it establishes that, that self-calm and mastering the self and the emotions and the stress because when you're, when you're practicing martial arts, if I'm throwing a punch with emotion, I'm already compromising my technique. Yeah, totally. If I'm angry, I'm going to throw more power than I need to. Or I might not be able to see that I need to maybe throw a little bit more. At Farah Academy, we believe every person has unlimited potential waiting to be unleashed. Join our academy and discover your inner power through disciplines like Taekwondo, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, martial arts weapons, and more. Our experienced instructors empower you with the skills, strength, and wisdom to become an unstoppable warrior. Train in a focused, inclusive environment where you'll progress quickly. Learn meditation, nutrition, and breathing techniques to develop a balanced body, mind, and spirit. Uncover your true potential and prepare for life's challenges at Farah Academy. Start your journey. Visit farahacademy.com today. So actually, I had a question that I wanted to ask you. Yeah. So I went through sort of my own journey with emotion in regards to weightlifting, hmm. where, you know, early on in, in my Experiences with that, people had said, oh, like, it's a great outlet for emotions. You know, if you're angry, go lift some weights or something like that. What I found was that the heavier the weight I wanted to lift was, the more that I uh, would be lifting in sort of a powerlifting way, the more that anger would actually cloud me. And what I st uh, started noticing was that, at least, so I want to see if there's any carryover here with the martial arts thing. Yeah. When I started focusing on reducing the actual component of anger, because anger is like attached to some experience that you had, you know, it's attached to some experience of like pain yeah. that you had. But when I was able to go into it without bringing that anger to the table, but instead maintain the intensity, just raw intensity without any emotional attachment, it really allowed me to get a lot stronger, a lot faster. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if in martial arts, 
if you kind of go about your own practice of like sort of how do you produce high intensity levels, mm -hmm. but without this actual like attachment to pain, this, this anger attachment. Yeah, I, I've definitely had that experience where, you know, I've gotten mad and I've gone up to the punching bag and I've thrown a lot of punches. Yeah. It just inflates it more. It makes me more angry and I put more yeah, so, power. Yeah, so I noticed the same thing. Yeah. And it's, it's like mm -hmm. getting reps and sets. If you do a bunch of bicep curls, your biceps gets bigger. And it seems to be the same thing with how you process anger. Mm -hmm. Like if you go and you blow up and you scream and punch a punching bag a bunch of times, that as a response is now Defeating. even more, yeah, yeah. it's like ingrained yeah. even more deeply. Yeah. And like the more punches I throw, the more angry I get and the more that thought comes into my head yeah. and I, I start thinking about it more and then I want to punch more and punch harder. Yep. I've done it to the point where like I've hurt my knuckles. I, yeah, yeah, when I was young. Yeah, yeah. like I wasn't paying attention to it, and I'm punching something so hard, and like I have blood and you almost die in the moment. You almost don't feel it. Like you're so no, like you don't. You're so consumed by the emotion yeah. itself. I mean, I've yeah. punched like trees and dude. That's such a weird thing yeah. that I'll just like very briefly because mm -hmm. it's there's not much more to say than like a sentence or two. But but last year, in the evening, every night, this guy would would come running down the sidewalk in front of my apartment and he would fight trees. He would fight the tree. He would start punching the trees, kicking the trees. Head, sometimes you headbutt the trees. Oh. It was intense, man. Yeah. I don't know. I think he was just mentally like... I mean, like some martial artists do that as good training. I don't think... I think that, he's that sounds different. That sounds <laughs> yeah. different. Yeah. Because I know like there's like, you know, Shaolin monks who do like some crazy training, but... Yeah. Like in, in Thailand for Muay Thai, they'll kick banana trees to harden the shins. Well, so correct me if I'm wrong, though, but the banana trees, they're, they're more like... They're softer. Yeah. Yeah. But they're, they're, they're still like, hard. They're not kicking an oak tree. <laughs> no. But it, it's it's gonna it's gonna hurt. Oh yeah, for sure. It'll create micro fractures. Well, that's something you should talk about as far as like adaptations that take place, right? Yeah. In martial arts, like bone mineral density. Yeah, I mean we punch hard stuff to create micro fractures mm -hmm. in the bone, and they heal stronger. So you get stronger knuckles, you get stronger shins. Have you seen some of these Japanese martial artists are like jumping up and down on their like toe knuckles? It's intense. So like they're like purposely trying to like re-break their feet over some and over of them will again. Do it on. The ox punch here. Yeah, the wrist. Yeah. yeah. But going back to the angry part, mm -hmm. right? What I found is the best way to deal with anger is breath work. Oh, for sure. Uh, there's a yeah. specific breath work technique called skull shining the breath, and it involves exhaling. And what it does is it clears out everything. And it's amazing if you do it correctly because. It takes all of this built-up energy you're feeling and it sends it up to your brain mm -hmm. and you start feeling lightheaded. You start feeling this kind of glowing feeling in, in the skull. Would you say it was called skull shine? Skull shining. Skull shining. The, I cannot think of the, I'm going to butcher it. <laughs> we'll put it up. We'll figure there. it out. We'll throw yeah. it up here. But it, it's a really powerful breathwork technique. Do you want to do a demo? We can absolutely do it. Because I don't know this one. Yeah, so, you know, find a seat here and just be, be comfortable. And before we start, let's take a few big deep breaths, just natural breaths in. Okay. And out. Couple more, big, big deep breath in. And out. So the technique is gonna, I'm gonna kind of show it to you first. It's gonna involve you pushing air out, okay. inhaling, 
is going to be very natural. So it sounds like this. Okay. Where I'm, I'm forcing the air out and yeah. the air will naturally come in. Right. So let's try it. And we'll take a big deep so breath. I just want to make sure it's just so yeah. you're doing like a series of these exhalations. We're going to do about 20 of them. And then after we finish doing the 20. Then you do an inhalation. We're going to exhale all the air out, huh. everything out of the lungs. Okay. Big deep breath in. Inhale out. We're going to inhale one more time. And then it's not really a breath hold. It's just like an extended pause in between the breaths where we're going to be holding but relaxing the body. I'm going to try to mirror you. Yeah. We'll see how this goes. So let's take a nice, normal, natural breath in. And now, and you can close your eyes for this. One more natural breath in. And out. And then preparing for the technique, big deep breath in. And then forcing the air. Exhale. Keep it going. Exhale out. Big deep breath in. Big deep breath out. Big deep breath in and hold. And relax the stomach. Relax the body. You might feel that flight or flight reflex. Try to relax. Air out. And I'm letting the breath come back to normal. Very small example. Normally I want to do that three times. That was great. Yeah. And I feel, yeah, I feel very calm, very clear. Yeah. In almost sort of like an empty way. Like yeah. a lot all the chatter in my mind is gone and I can actually think more clearly because of that. And usually when I'm feeling uh, a lot of emotion and I do that, I'll do it very intensely and I'll mm. get to the point where it feels like I, I'm about to fall over. Interesting. Like, yeah. I guess and if I you're angry, you like, hands on the ground. that like forceful exhalation, you're like out. moving that. Okay. Well, so that's a good pointer then to anybody trying this, like you want to make sure that you're somewhere on the ground. Comfortable, yeah, you can't fall. Not whatever. driving. <laughs> Definitely not driving. <laughs> not flying a helicopter. Probably should have said that before. Yeah. <laughs> if, you are, if you're driving and doing this, yeah, you need to pull into the yeah. shoulder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was great. So that was called uh, Skull Shining. Skull Shining. Palapabatha. I am butchering. So Skull Shining, is that, is that like the translation? Yes. Got you. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that there's so many different breath techniques that you can use for different variations and that's ideally supposed to clear out the heart chakra and get all of this stagnant energy out of here and out interesting you can also do it in the morning to stimulate like get you awake yeah so it reminded me a little bit of breath of fire mm. which i've heard people recommend doing to wake up yeah in the morning as it stimulates more of that like alpha brainwave activity mm. you know sometimes you want to get a little bit of that like you know, not full on adrenal attack, but sometimes you need to get a little pep in your step. Yeah. And if you do it, what I, it, 
it works amazing. Yeah, and I recommend doing it three sets of those. Yeah. And how many was you said it was twenty? We did right? more. Uh, I want to say it's like twenty seconds, twenty-five seconds. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So the duration of time. Yeah. That's more important than the actual number of breaths. And you also want to go at your own pace. Like we're breathing pretty fast. Maybe you can't go that fast. You sure. <laughs> that no, and that's worth pointing out that like both you and I have experience in different breathing patterns and breath work. So, like, you shouldn't be so lightheaded that you're unable to perform the breath properly. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a natural response where, you know, if you do feel that lightheadedness, it's getting whatever's in there out. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it's, it's good. Like, if I do it when I'm not as emotional, I will not have the same response as when I am. Interesting. Yeah. Because I guess in that case... You're already kind of at baseline. You're already sort of at equilibrium. Yeah, and it, it's great before meditation. It gets you right in. I also recommend the Wim Hof breathing technique. That's really great as well. Mm -hmm. Just brings everything to a nice calm place. So this breath that you taught me, because I think the first couple of seconds, I don't think I was doing it right. I think I think I figured it out pretty quickly into it. I just want to make sure for everyone out there that's yeah. watching, listening, that the entire thing is nasal breathing. You can do it with your mouth. You get more air in and out, but you're going to get really dry mouth. I recommend okay. the nasal. But if, you, if it's stuffed and you can't breathe through your nose, you can right. breathe through your mouth. So, that, so that's difficult for some people to actually breathe out of their nose. Yeah. I actually I wear this thing everybody thinks is a nose ring. It's not. It just opens my airway a little bit more. Nice. If I ever talk about anything on here yeah. that I use, I just want to point out now and forevermore, like I'm not affiliated with these products or sponsored <laughs> by them. I just recommend people what is going to be the best solution, whatever problem they have. Hmm. So that disclaimer being said, yeah. I recommend this thing. It's called the Mute Turbine. If you can't breathe well out of your nose, put this in your nostrils. You'll yeah. breathe a lot better. Because oh. okay. uh, there are a lot of health benefits to nasal breathing. Yeah, um, yeah. That, my life definitely improved quite a bit when I started exclusively breathing out of my nose. So. Do you wear it when you sleep? I don't wear this when I'm sleeping because it's made out, it's, it's hard. Okay. So if you like roll it over, you know, yeah. it can be uncomfortable. Um, when I'm sleeping, I recommend, well, you know, everybody's seen them. I think there's those stickers yeah. that expand, you know, externally expand right. the airway. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, you could always get their surgical interventions to like improve nasal breathing, but personally, I would avoid surgery on any part of your body unless it was like absolutely necessary. I'd much rather stick a little thing in my nose to breathe better than yeah. like, you know, get, go to the extreme of having surgery. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. And that's my personal take on it too. Yeah. And then kind of getting back into like the, the importance of form and technique, you know, if you do these breathing techniques wrong or if you do martial arts wrong, oh yeah, you're going to see like a limited return. And Sometimes it can actually cause detriment. Sure. For example, let's say you're training a front kick and you have like a floppy foot while you're kicking and you hit something, you're going to break your foot. Oh, definitely. Or let's say... The same with the, the wrist and punching. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've completely broken this pinky bone in half by hitting with the pinky bone. There's no support Dude. on your arm and it will literally turn your... Yeah, your wrist sideways, and I broke this in half. That's yeah. awful, dude. There's a small Man. curve on my pinky bone. From I never had it that. Like the worst that ever happened to me was just really bad sprains. Yeah, from not having that wrist stacked perfectly. 
That's hardcore, man. That's yeah. awful. I'm sorry. That, that happened when I was like 10. You know, we were practicing punching the floor in martial arts. <laughs> yeah, man. And, you know, I was getting into it. And you're supposed to hit with the two the, big the nickels. Two. Yeah. You force straight down your arm and like yeah. you hit there. It's just it's a solid the rock. Bangs of a snake. You hit here, it's going to go sideways. And yeah. It's gonna yeah. Break. Yeah. So, form, you, you can have really great benefits from it, but. Let's say there's, there's that saying, practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. I completely disagree. <laughs> practice makes permanent. What you practice yeah, totally. is what you do. Yeah, it reinforces the pattern. If the form is not perfect, you have reinforced something imperfect. So part of the pursuit of any kind of practice, I'm actually going to come at this from a, a music standpoint. Uh, so I didn't say this earlier because for the sake of the podcast, you know, we're talking about martial arts. But in addition to my experience with National Academy of Sports Medicine, I actually studied music originally. I studied at the Berklee College of Music. So part of your intention setting has to be to make it more perfect each time. Yes. Because you're not just trying to reinforce a pattern. You have to understand that there is no perfect pattern. There's only a better pattern. And you need to make it better each time. Every time you punch, you should try to make it better than the last one. Every time you kick, it should try to be a little better than the last one. If you don't, rather than going up, you won't even plateau. You'll start going down. Yeah, totally. Yeah. If, it, if it's a bad pattern, mm -hmm. and let me tell you, like one of the hardest things to possibly do is to unlearn something. It's actually much harder than learning something new. You have to like uproot. So yeah. back to like the music example, let's say you're practicing a song. One of the notes is wrong. You didn't realize that. Now, how many times you practice it that way? Maybe you've played that song a thousand times like that now. That's a good point. You where, try to unlearn that. Yeah. Really hard. Where, like, uh, what we've had students come into uh, our old martial arts school that I used to teach at who came from other martial arts schools. Mm. And, you know, there would be, let's say, a purple belt. And a purple belt's supposed to be able to do jump back kick, spinny hook kick. And I would ask them to do those kicks. And... It was very sloppy. Well, they're coming from a different school, different instructors, yeah. different practice. But it's a standard move, right? It, it's, right. it's done a specific way. Right. And if it's sloppy, it's because they weren't taught right. Right. Or, and there, there's certain cues you would give just yeah. like anything else. Somebody rounding their back on a deadlift, you'd tell them, like, you need to straighten that out, flatten the yeah. back out. There's and, and getting them to change that is way harder than taking somebody fresh and having them learn it correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And in the other sense is, let's say you, you get black belts. So to me, my uh, black belt, when you get your black belt in Taekwondo, it is the beginning of your training, in my opinion. We, we have a bunch of color belts, and the first half represents the, the positive side of the journey, the warm side. And the, the color belts represent the yin-yang journey, mm. right? The second half represents the yin, the colder side. And once you get your black belt, you become a mature student ready to progress yourself in the arts. Interesting. And we get a lot of people who get their black belts who start getting lazy in their technique and they start getting sloppy. Hmm. And I've seen some black belts who will be at black belt for two, three years and they are worse off after that third year than when they got their black belt. Interesting. They started slacking off. So they kind of had a goal of attaining the black belt and then once they attained that goal, kind of fall into some complacency. Yeah. Hmm. Because martial arts, it, it does not matter your belt. No. It does not. I, I've seen a purple belt beat a second-degree black belt. 
Huh. And that is just because of their mentality, their the way of training. There's so many different aspects to it. So the belt then is that more of an indicator of your education, your practice, your experience? In my opinion, yeah. Got you. Yeah, absolutely. But and like ideally, if somebody has a certain belt, they should be able to perform. Ideally. <laughs> these various movements, abilities to the standard. Yes. That they should. It should. Yeah. I've seen that not be the case right. various times where, you know, some some people are just physically not capable of doing certain moves, and that's mm -hmm. that's a whole different ballgame. Mm -hmm. But let's say you are capable, and you know some schools will give hand out the belt for money because they you have to pay for tests. So you pay to break the boards and get a belt, and that's income for the school. Right. And that's a whole side of the business part of it that I completely disagree with, that if you are not ready for your belt, you should not be handed that thing because right. you didn't earn it. You have to demonstrate that you have actually absorbed this And you have to keep demonstrating. And yeah, because you can get complacent. Yes. Yeah, I guess it's similar to the idea of like, you know, retesting someone for a driver's license. It's like, how do we know yeah. that you still can drive competently? And like I used to... I used to like take tips away from, from kids and we used to take belts away and I, I don't necessarily agree with that anymore because like once you earn a certain rank, in my opinion now, I think you've earned that rank and you should stay at that rank mm -hmm. and you can just work your way up till you're back up to there and then you can go past it and then earn that new higher rank. Yeah, you know I mean, mean, so I guess that like what it took for you to attain that rank, you know what you should be able to do. Yes. And even if you have been slacking, I guess you should know what's wrong with your technique and what you need to do to get it where it needs to be because exactly. that's how you got that belt in the first place. And once they realize that, they understand the mentality of martial arts is, you know, we're never going to be perfect, but mm -hmm. we're on the pursuit to attain that technique's perfection. Right, right. Yeah, and that's why I was saying earlier that there's no perfect, there's only better. Mm -hmm. It's this, like, pursuit of an unreachable perfection that keeps you getting better yeah and this is true of everything yeah everything not just martial arts i mean even physical strength you can mm -hmm. always get stronger the only thing that keeps people from getting stronger is the aging process until that really reaches a certain point you can just keep getting stronger yeah yeah, yeah. even like running form posture like people want perfect posture. I'm sorry to break it to you. There's no such thing. There's only better posture. Yeah. There's only better running form. There's only better punching efficiency, better mm -hmm. awareness of all of the things that you need to keep track of in martial arts. Yeah. There's always going to be someone out there who does it better than you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. true too. Yeah. yeah. But I think like falling in love, like at least for me, the fact that everything seems to abide by this principle of like an unreachable perfection mm -hmm. that actually drives progress. That's something I've kind of fallen in love with. Like, yeah. I think that, that tends to make life a lot more interesting. At first, that was intimidating for me where, you know, there's so many martial arts. If you just look in Korea, there's so many martial arts. There's, mm -hmm. like, Hapkido, there's Taekwondo, there's uh, Tangsudo, there's uh, Haidongkumdo. There's so many martial just arts. Just within Korea alone. Yeah, and you, you step outside of there, you go to Japan, India, China. You cannot learn all of them. Right, it'd be impossible unless yeah. unless you were like immortal. You could like, yeah, you, you know, know, if you lived to be a thousand years, yeah, maybe you could master every martial art. So like in that pursuit, 
like we, we pick something and we understand it. We get to a point where you master it and then you start to refine yourself in mm. the technique. Mm -hmm. And there, there's a certain level of training that is required to maintain that technique. That if you don't put that in, you will start to, re to lessen the technique, to yeah. your speed, your agility, the actual form of the strikes, they'll go down and sure. they won't be of as well, You know, you won't have, for one thing, familiarity is gonna be part of it too. So mm -hmm. it's like they say, you know, it's like riding a bike. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you don't forget how to ride a bike, but if you bike every day, you'll be a lot better at riding a bike yeah. than if you learn how to ride a bike and then you don't ride one again, <laughs> so. Yeah, and the, that's where like martial arts, to me, I, I call it a way of life. Yeah, it's totally. Not, it's not, it, it's a way of thinking. It's in, the more you incorporate it into everything you do, the more benefits you're gonna see from it because you know, it's gonna enhance your speed, your agility, your ability to deal with situations. And like I've taken martial arts and I've transitioned it into fire spinning. Mm -hmm. I use it in the way that I move around the house. I can like close the door with my foot if I got my hands full. Yeah. You've seen like Shaolin Soccer, you know, I, I think that's the name. Oh, I love that movie, man. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's many different applications of martial arts than just self-defense. I guess really everything, because it's, it's like a way, it's like a state of being. Yeah. So you can kind of apply it to anything. I don't know, I mentioned this last episode that actually Kung Fu, the translation means mastery of skill. Mm -hmm. I was like 99% sure when I said that, mm -hmm. but I did go and research yeah, it some yeah. more just to be absolutely 100% yeah. sure instead yeah. of 99.9. So yeah, you can apply Kung Fu, you can apply the mentality of martial arts to everything. Whether you're trying to be master your business as an entrepreneur or master your interpersonal relationships with your family, whether you're trying to master your relationship with your own mind, your emotional processes, the physical body, fire spinning, mm -hmm. dancing, music, yeah, literally dancing. anything. It's just sort of this yeah. awareness as well as this discipline, routine, and practice, you know, taking like a systemic approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, m like martial arts, the, the interesting thing to me is, you know, like you mentioned Kung Fu, mm. it means, say it again. Uh, so Kung Fu means mastery of skills. So really skill. like you could apply this concept to anything. If you want to be a Kung Fu master of making a souffle, like yeah. you just pick the skill. It's Kung Fu. It's Kung Fu. Yeah. And you just, every time that you do it, but you need to have that awareness. Mm -hmm. You need to have that calm. Mm -hmm. You need to use techniques like the breath work that you taught me, mm -hmm. right? And then with discipline, routine, and practice, with the goal, because you made this point, it was a very, very good point to make, that practice does not make perfect. Mm -hmm. But if you make part of the goal, making it more precise, more efficient yeah. each time, the perfection starts to blossom. Yeah. And for example, uh, Taekwondo means the way of the hand and the foot. Hmm. It's mostly known for really high and beautiful kicks, which is part of Taekwondo. But yeah, the some of those kicks are insane, man. Yeah, where they're like doing those assisted, you know what I'm talking about? Where yeah, they like the boost it. Yeah, yeah, oh my gosh, man. But like Bruce Lee said, uh, boards don't hit back. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and a, a lot of those high flying kicks are just meant to look pretty. And in, in, in all honesty, that's what I think. 
Sure. Now you have like butterfly 360, you know, 540 kick. Those can be applied, but as a, as an actual strike. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really going to be rare where you have to send somebody two stories up to <laughs> kick somebody never, on a second. Well, level. plus they can't even get that high up. Yeah. Without people forming a launch pad. Yeah. For them. But yeah. coming back to the meaning of it, I think a lot of people don't understand that taekwondo uses your hands. Like you learn. Oh yeah. Jab, reverse. Because they're focusing more on the kicks. Yeah. You yeah. learn uppercut, you learn an array of different punches. And even in traditional schools nowadays, you they don't go into, you know, the the pluck strike that is meant to go in the eye or the ox punch that's supposed to go in the throat. There's Taekwondo has a very large depth of knowledge and how to use the body. Is it like this? You're supposed to like that. And yeah, all together into go one. in the eye. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so in, in Kung Fu, they also, this is one of the hand positions, yeah. and they'll use it like a hook sometimes, too. This to comes back from the origin of it, where traditional Taekwondo, as we know it today, was created after World War II, when mm. Korea essentially got its independence. They took five styles of what was then, it was five styles of what we call Taekwondo, the style I learned was Chengdo Kwan, and there were five Kwans. Those five Kwans came together to create Taekwondo. Got you. Those Kwans had meaning of, you know, butting and heading and kicking, different meanings, but they were all essentially Taekwondo, but different styles. And then they combined it into one system. Yes. Now, once you learn one and you master it, the idea is to let go of the style. Mm -hmm. And this was one of Bruce Lee's teaching in Jeet Kune Do. Isn't that what the inscription, like, isn't that what the, the, the lettering on his Jeet Kune Do symbol means? I, I'm not sure. Uh, I have to look I, this I cannot, one up. I cannot speak about that. I know the philosophy of it because when you have style, you are limited by that style. Yeah, so I've, I've heard this talked about also as, like, the box, they so call it. So if you have a style, you're going to be trapped in timing. Mm -hmm. You're going to be trapped in a way of movement. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to act dynamically enough for every situation. Mm -hmm. And this is where his philosophy of water. Water flows, water crashes, mm -hmm. water can fit every container. And it has the ability to become whatever you want. It can flow, it can crash. Exactly. So when you let go of style, you allow yourself to express yourself in the exact manner that's necessary for the moment. Right. And you can only do that by mastering your mind, your body, and bringing your awareness fully to the moment and letting go of style. Yeah. And that you enter the flow state, you, you can attain certain feats that would normally be impossible. Uh, now that's, I would say that's the goal in attaining that state in martial arts and being able to be in the battlefield, looking at your enemy and caress them on the cheek in the midst of battle. Because that means you have full control of yourself, full control and understanding of yourself and your enemy as well. Yeah. And once you attain that, right, you can do anything. So this, this reminds me of video that I saw, and I actually we could probably throw a link up for this. This might be interesting for people to see. So Jackie Chan, you know, we all 
love and respect as an actor, but I think few people, unless they're in the martial arts world like you are, understand how disciplined and skilled this human being is actually as, as a martial artist. I mean, yeah. it's insane. If you watch his early stuff, it is. Yeah, which was a lot less like Hollywood style. Like, you have to go back to the, the stuff he made in China. Yeah. And like, it was uh, just... actually, and there, there's actually a funny story where you might be familiar with this where Bruce Lee actually uh, accidentally uh, struck Jackie Chan. Yes, uh, I saw on, that. on yeah. set, and immediately we're like, cut, cut, cut. He apparently was really attentive and like made sure he's okay. But so there's this terrible clip of Jackie Chan. I think he's on some talk show. They have multiple um, bricks, set, setups of bricks. Now, so Jackie Chan is holding an egg in his hand, which is a raw chicken egg. Mm -hmm. And he's doing, he's breaking these with a technique that uh, I think is called hammer fist mm -hmm. in Kung Fu, which is essentially from like up high mm -hmm. and you bring it down onto the bricks mm -hmm. and he does, I think it's like three or four of these in a row. And like each time there's more layers of the, of the bricks. He opens his hand at the end and the egg is completely unharmed. Mm -hmm. This raw chicken egg. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, so when you talk about caressing your enemy's cheek in battle, I mean, just being that aware, that precise, that gentle, mm -hmm. but yet that powerful as well. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and here's another interesting thing. You know, when you're sparring or in your when you're in battle, if you've ever seen uh, Ipman. Oh yeah. Well, which well, which one? Because there's there's a yeah. whole bunch of them. <laughs> well, in one of them, he throws a punch, and in our punch in Chengdu Kwan, we send a punch out, and the very last second, turning the forearm. Yeah. And I think this was also in Chet Li's movie. I forgot the name of it. I forgot the name of it. But he he's throws this punch and goes to hit, and if it hits, it would have killed the person. Mm -hmm. But he pulls it back. And if you are at the level of martial arts that you understand what happened, he saw that, oh, he could have killed me, he chose not to, because it's not worth it, mm -hmm. right? And that instantly de-escalated the situation, where like, no, he's the winner. He chose right. not to end my life. You know, well, it's a display of mercy. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that comes back to quick decision making under stress. What is worth it? What's the whole reason of martial arts? Yeah. It's not yeah. to, we're, we're not learning it to beat other people. We're mm -hmm. not learning it to defeat someone else or be greater than someone else. We're learning it to master our minds and our bodies to be able to be at peace, to spread peace. Because yeah. the warrior is the person who protects those who cannot be protected, right? Yeah. So if you're going out there and you know, you're fighting for money or you're fighting to win people, that's not the goal of martial arts. Right, and the goal is not violence. Exactly. The goal and is literally to spread peace yeah. and to care yeah. for others. And you, you, martial arts should be used as a way to teach people on how to deal with themselves and deal with the world. And it, it teaches, the mind and the body toughness to be able to deal with these situations with mm -hmm. kindness and with love. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I think worth mentioning just like from a philosophical or ethical moral standpoint, like where does violence, where does use of physical force play in to martial arts? Because typically I remember like when I was a little kid, 
you know, we'd be watching something like Power Rangers, Ninja Turtles, you know, these characters know martial arts. Yeah. And they're they're beating up the bad guys. And I think that was like a big motivator, like to inspire a lot of kids. Looks cool. It looks cool. So they wanna they wanna go and they wanna learn a taekwondo or kung fu or karate. Those tend to be like the I guess the most popular, most common ones that kids in the US will go and learn. Because they wanna be like so and so character. Be able to you know, kick kick all the bad guys. Like I turned on the Ninja Turtle weapons, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I want to use the nunchucks. Like, it looks yeah. cool when the Ninja Turtles do it. So, but, you know, where does that, like, philosophically, how does actually violence, like, play into it? So, I want to get your take on this as well, because I have, this is something I have explored a lot from a philosophy standpoint. It's like pacifism versus actually taking action. Like, where do you draw the line, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of like where, so where I kind of arrived with it was uh, taking like Gandhi's approach, which is essentially the, the path of least violence. He was very specific to say that like, well, he would rather that people like, per, you know, rise up and prevent India from falling into tyranny than to just be trampled on. So that also then kind of takes me back to like the, uh, the Tao, uh, the Tao Te Ching. So for anyone who hasn't read the Tao, um, it's the oldest work of philosophy that's ever been discovered. I think it's about 5,000 years old, if I'm not mistaken. It's all really cryptic. So you got to like poetry. (laughs) You got to kind of discern what it means to you each page. But he talks about, he says, that the true warrior enters battle uh, gravely. So what that essentially is like, you shouldn't be excited Mm -hmm. to harm someone. You shouldn't be excited to kill someone. So yeah, so that's kind of like my stance on that. And I'm curious to hear, you know, what is your personal belief as a martial arts instructor about the ethics of using physical force mm-hmm. and violence? So interesting. First, I want to address the, the Gandhi part. Yeah. You know, he, he went about it in a nonviolent way. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you had invading Pakistan trying to take over India. And a lot of his efforts kind of made some not good things happen where I cannot remember the name of the area there were a lot of people who suffered because they weren't able to protect themselves yeah from a physical protection standpoint yeah so I mean there you know yes nonviolence is wonderful but there's certain scenarios because there's violent people yes in the world and you and I guess this this really ties into the entire philosophy that was spread from India that created Kung Fu, Taekwondo, Karate, all of it. Yeah. And that's Dharma. What, what is your life's role, right? And in, in the whole idea of, of violence, where there's the same, it is better to dismember than to kill. So it's better to take someone's limb off than to kill. Than their life. It's better yeah. to... I guess it's maim than to kill. And it's better to, you know, subdue somebody than That's to dismember. And you, there's slow degrees of de-escalation. So right. It's, it's like a spectrum. There's levels to this. Yes. So once somebody, I guess, reaches a certain degree of affecting you in a violent way, where, like, let's say you're being, you know, Someone's on top of you, mm-hmm. they've gotten you on the ground, and they're about to throw a punch on you. I'm not going to sit there and take a punch. Yeah. I'm going to put my hands up, put them over, and I'm going to try and hold them, right? If I can't hold them, let's say they're too big, maybe I 
and I have to break their arm. Yep. I have to de-escalate, or, you know, remove their ability to harm me. And then if they keep going, maybe I have to take it further. Yeah. But the first step should never be jumping to the end conclusion of yeah. somebody. Yeah, I guess you'd probably want to start verbally if yes. you could. Always, Yeah. always. Because the best way to handle with any situation is to run, to get out of there. Yep. Because the whole idea of a conflict is you have somebody trying to hurt you and you have you usually responding with an ego, right? Yeah. And that starts conflict. That, that, that's a really, really good point that you just made because a lot of people, I think particularly adults, um, will get interested in learning MMA mm -hmm. because they want to be good at fighting. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there going like, you want to be good at winning a fight. What, what does that mean? What does winning a fight mean to you? Does it mean that you escaped unscathed? Because if so... If like, I escaped alive, I won. Exactly, right, yeah. So if you want to be good at that, you can do what I do and rock climb and run sprints every week. You like, could call it the coward's way out, but like you're not going to catch but, me. But <laughs> like I just want to live. You may meet somebody who is skilled enough or has a weapon. Yeah. You may be caught in the... There's this saying by Master Pat who freaking love his teachings. He's one of my teachers growing up. He's, he's been teaching me since I was eight. And he always has the same. You can break probably two of these rules and be okay, but if you break three or more, then you're in, you're gonna find trouble. Okay. Never be in stupid places with stupid people at stupid times <laughs> doing stupid things. Right. If you, <laughs> if you do one of those, you're probably okay. Yeah, but in those, combination, they start stacking up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you go out looking for trouble, you're gonna find it finds you. Yeah. But you know, some sometimes there's people who have a lot of hate, and that's just the world we live in. And that is the reason we train martial arts. Right. To be prepared for the worst possible situation. Exactly. And you know, in today's world, there's knives and there's guns. And in certain situations, knives are way more dangerous than guns. For sure. Because you cannot, like, if a stab wound is deep. You can't heal from it. Yeah. Uh, well, especially depending on the like, size of the round. Like if you got shot with a nine millimeter, you're, it's probably gonna do yeah. a lot less damage than somebody that actually. You, you can still survive, usually. Yeah. As long as they hit the wrong place. You know? Yep. So, you know, it comes down to situational awareness, being aware of your exits, people coming in, people's energies. Whenever I go out into a club or a movie theater, like, I'm very sensitive. I, I notice, oh, there's this guy wearing a hoodie. He's being really shady. And I'm very yeah. aware of that person. Yeah. Right? And you want to be very careful about the situations you put yourself in. And if you're in that situation, do you have an exit plan? Do you, do you know how to defend yourself? You know, in the United States, we have a lot of mass shootings. Master Pat and I, I would assist him in teaching self-defense classes that incorporated drills for handling mass shooter drills where mm. what do you do if some dude walks in holding a rifle and just starts killing everybody you know yeah well so i feel like martial arts is a really good way of balancing that sort of hyper vigilance that we need to have nowadays where you want to have supreme awareness of your surroundings and especially the people in your surroundings people are the most dangerous aspect of reality this is a whole entire point of the combat element of martial arts yeah. so the problem with this hypervigilance though is it can be very stress inducing i feel like martial arts is 
the avenue, it's the pathway to have this like supreme awareness, mm -hmm. but to be very calm yeah. about it. Because you really can't have just one or the other. If you're like super relaxed all the time, you're not going to be aware of X, Y, or Z that could compromise you. But if you're like hyper vigilant and you're trying to identify threats all the time, I don't necessarily agree with that. Hmm. Because the calmness comes from within. Right? Mm. In the calm state, your awareness is going to be five times greater than when you're hyper vigilant. So I do agree with that. And I'm thinking that calm maybe wasn't the word. I would say perhaps if you're just feeling too comfortable, comfortable. Yes. yeah. There's yeah. this book that I read as a child about mice going through a maze. I read this book. Yeah, and they it? would one of them would get all comfortable, and the other one was uh, uh, who, who moved my cheese. Yes. Yeah, I, I read that one too. And yeah. when they got too comfortable, that's when the predator came. Yeah. Well, one of them kept saying like, "We we should keep." Moving and like keep looking for for cheese. Yeah. The other guy's like, nah. Yeah. I'm comfy here. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a difference between like being aware of your surroundings, your situation, and getting too comfortable. Because once right. you get too comfortable, what what starts happening? Our training starts slacking. Our awareness, all of these things that we have worked so hard for, they start coming down. They start to atrophy. Because it was discomfort that grew those things yes. in the first place. And it was, you had this pursuit to want to achieve something. Once you've achieved it and you start to become comfortable, you start losing Sort it. of like the belt example that you were bringing up. The students will get to black belt and then they'll start to actually lose some of the abilities that the black belt was signifying they had attained. Yeah. And like I got my fourth degree black belt in Taekwondo. And I got there and I was like... Yeah, like all, I'm teaching all these kids. I can do all this amazing stuff. But there is so much more stuff to learn and do. There is so much refinement, understanding of myself and growth that still needs to be done. Even after I've mastered a certain art, mm -hmm. there's still more growth. Yeah. And it's endless. Uh, it's like a lifelong yes. pursuit. Exactly. I guess a good example would be like somebody that has a weight loss goal. And they think, okay, I've reached my goal now. I'm going to go back to eating like a slob. I'm going to go back to not exercising. That uh, lo and behold, all that weight, they gain it back. Yeah. Because what they needed to do, understand this is a lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. This is a way of living. Mm -hmm. And if they don't fall in love with exercise, fall in love with eating healthy, yeah. it's not going to be something that lasts. They used time. to weigh 245 pounds. What do you weigh now, if you don't mind me asking? I, under 175. Okay. And in, I started training martial arts. And I weighed about 220. And I got to see a photo. 245. Yeah, because that honestly, so because this was before I, but when I met you, you were pretty. I was around 180. 180. Yeah. Okay. So you've lost, what do you think you've lost? Like 10 pounds maybe? Maybe. Some stuff? Yeah. Okay. And it's just leaner, denser muscle. That's crazy. So me and Victor are about the same weight. So for me to picture him at 245 pounds, it's pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty difficult. I got to see a photo. Yeah. Yeah. And. You know, like I, I started exercising, I started to change my diet, I started to change my lifestyle, and now it's like no matter what I do, like my weight doesn't change. Yeah. Because it's well, in my lifestyle. If it's, yeah, if it started to, and like you would notice that. Oh, immediately. <laughs> immediately. Within like two weeks, actually, oh, I'm gaining a little, let me get back into my yeah. routine. Yeah. 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 Well, you, because you've developed the discipline routine, patience, the practice that 
allows a person to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, not only would say allows, but actually increases a person's health. Yes. Over time. Yeah. My resting heart rate when I'm sleeping, according to my watch, has gone down to the lowest of 37, but now it's around like 47 because I haven't been. That's really low. Wow, is. man. Yeah. What is it during the day? The resting heart rate during the day is like 50, 53 to 57, depending on how stressful. That's pretty good. The lowest I ever had it was 47. It's definitely not that low anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's really good though. Yeah. yeah, good job. And, you know, like there's so many effects from it. And it's like if I, I want to keep it because there's so many benefits to it where I was training for like five, six hours a day and not feeling really that tired at the end. I, I was this was like, oh, this is normal. Yeah. Yeah, it becomes yeah that work normal. capacity. Yeah. And in that that practice, establishing that practice of doing your calisthenics or weight training exercises, doing your stretching, your breath work, your meditation, your martial arts training, and establishing that routine is the most important part. Yeah. And the second you fall off, it is so hard to get back on. It really is. The second you take a two weeks break, it is the most difficult thing to be like, yeah, I'm going to do it again. Well, yeah, so, I mean, if you break the momentum with anything, there's a really weird thing that I've always noticed with physical exercise is that when you haven't done it in a while, when you've fallen off that wagon, it feels so difficult to get back on that. Yeah. But... For some reason, when you're like in the flow of it, though, let's say you've been consistent, you've been on a routine for weeks, for months, you feel weird when you just miss one. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's just yeah. whatever you're used to doing, that pattern is like forming. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get these days better at developing ways of sort of like re-entry. Because mm-hmm. when you do fall off of that, you want to get back into like the same level that you were used to being at and it goes away relatively quickly you know and then you start beating yourself up over it yeah rather than being like it's okay let's just work back let's get that routine back yeah 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 you gotta humble yourself enough to be like okay getting your team back like you pointed out that's the most important part and whatever metrics let's say that you're used to like bench pressing a certain weight mm-hmm. but you gotta humble yourself you're not gonna bench press that initially yeah. get back into it and yeah. remind yourself like why were you even doing this in the first place yeah because if you don't remember that you love it why you love it fall back in love with it i'm gonna do it yeah i think this is a good good stopping point for for this episode yeah no i think yeah. so too i think we covered a lot of really good ground yeah, yeah. oh by the way uh because today is, is thanksgiving yeah i guess i just want to wish everybody out there thanksgiving yeah and uh, actually victor gave me this sick shirt yeah. to show everybody I guess I'll let you explain the shirt. Yeah, so uh, this is Ganapathy. This is a artwork done by Pale Horse. Chris Parks, Krishna Chandra Das. He does a lot of beautiful artwork. Check out his page. Bring it a little and bit closer to the, Ganapathy the is camera there. The remover of all obstacles. So whatever pathway you're in, he removes all of those obstacles out of your way so you can actually attain it. And Pale Horse works on a lot of sacred artwork. He has a lot of beautiful murals, shirts. Check him out. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. So uh, thanks for the shirt. You're welcome. And, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Looking forward to uh, the next episode. Yeah. Awesome. Peace, everybody. Oh.
Just to add this in, this is also a shirt by Pale Horse. This is Hanuman. Both Hanuman and Ganapati are essentially lower forms of Shiva. And Hanuman uh, was turned into a monkey and was incarnated onto earth and he had all of the godly powers, right? And the, the sages who were meditating and working on their, their practices, he was going around like destroying mountains and all this stuff and basically cast a spell on him that made him forget his powers. And the only way that he would remember it is if he's reminded of it, which is essentially what we're all right. on the journey of. Right. We all have this hidden potential, these, these abilities to do these things, yeah. but we forget. So work hard, trust yourself, believe in yourself. Thank you for joining Victor and Andy on The Unlimited You. Make sure to visit our website, www.faraacademy.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.